I guess you're never taking any time off if you can drop your podcast around. We know you may be listening to it after, maybe before. Who knows if we snuck it out there, but around Christmas. So whatever you celebrate, however you celebrate, happy holidays and, and, and a celebratory time for you, however you do it this year, in a year in which we never thought we'd be celebrating Hanukkah and Christmas and Kwanzaa or not celebrating anything, whatever your choice is at home, like this, right? Like this. We've got a great show. Um, love, love, love the guests on this show. First up, J.P. Massey, one of the top arms in the 2021 draft. He's at Minnesota. But the best part of his story for me, this is totally subjective. The best part of his story for me is how he came up through the game, how the White Sox and their Aces program embraced this young man who lives, what, a stone's throw away from where the White Sox play their home games on the south side. But now he's developed into the University of Minnesota first-round guy, but Danny, that's our guest, and I love J.P. Massey. He was awesome. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, so getting to learn about him at his peak I think is really interesting, but he's humble enough, and he has so much self-awareness to easily tell you, I wasn't always like this. And I asked him, why Minnesota? And he said, well, they were really the only ones to offer. And I, I thought that that's a really humbling moment for him and able to share that with us and kind of just being able to, he's stepping into his own after Max Meyer and his success. And he departed and learning to just be himself and not try to fill Max's shoes and, and just being so self-aware. So I, I thought we had a so fun, so much fun with him. Um, and, and he's just, he's a stellar kid. Remind me, our scout size, they're doing predictions, right? Yes, predictions. I love it. I love it. So our scout size segments, uh, we're going to have Jeremy Brown, Brian Sikowski, uh, and maybe some last minute ads. But the bottom line is the, the great PG scouts of this segment will predict and look ahead to 2021. Hopefully there's a mention of some sort of an impactful vaccine being shared, you know, just getting in there, in, impacting the baseball. World. The other thing I think is cool is uh, if you've ever listened to it, Perfect Game College Baseball every Tuesday, 10 o'clock Eastern on ESPNU on Sirius XM, Hunter Pence, that Hunter Pence. He's my co-host. Andrew Chekets is the head coach at UC Santa Barbara. I'm going to pull a little slice out of that pizza pie because he and Andrew dive deep about research, about dealing with the athlete, uh, talking a little bit about advanced metrics. So love that slice. And then I'm really excited um, about another important guest for me anyway to have on this show because of when I met him, when he was a guy that was a player development guy with a scouts background, um, hadn't done any managing at all. And I got to know him very intimately when he was around young players. We're going to use his wisdom on leading young players on scouting and it's Tigers manager, AJ Hinch. So this is really cool. I've been geeking out, getting ready to do this interview and learning a lot about him. And if you have not dug deep, man, you should dig deep because there is some really interesting stories from his time at Stanford. And he got a psychology degree, by the way, and he's kind of a team psychologist as a catcher, right? That's you're, you are helping people in many different ways, whether it's verbally or non-verbally. So he's got a lot going on um, up in that big brain of his, and I'm excited to understand how and, and, and why he looks at players in a certain way and, and how that helps him um, as a manager, how that's helped him throughout his whole career. So I, I'm pretty stoked for this interview. So pull up a chair, throw in the AirPods, um, pour a glass of whatever you enjoy, and let's talk amateur baseball. Away we go. Here is yet another, the Christmas edition of Amateur Hour, powered by Perfect Game. 
Hello, AJ Hinch, and happy holidays to you, man. We appreciate you spending time with Danny and I. This is cool. We feel fortunate to pick your brain just a little bit on behalf of the young athlete and their parent and their coach. I guess I'll start with a little bit of a, of a warm-up, an appetizer. How much of you, the major league manager, is still the player development guy, is still the scout that talks with scouts, mm -hmm. and even you know the amateur game, looking at the amateur game, how much of the manager is still and will always maybe remain that guy? Yeah, I think it's a part of everything that you do in this job as a manager because you, you're looking out on a field of players, and nowadays teams are built, um, you know, with a variety of different type of guys. There's guys at the beginning of their careers, guys at the middle of their careers, guys towards the tail end of your career or their career, um, and they're all at different development parts of their lives, just as men, as baseball players, as their skill sets and things like that. So you got to be pretty versatile in this job to see that. You definitely respect it. Uh, to ask the same out of a rookie shortstop, as you will, a Hall of Fame caliber first baseman, very, very different. So um, for me, I think I'll, I, I'm always evaluating players because I'm usually calling up to the front office and saying, you know, love this guy, may want to upgrade here. On the player development side, these guys are developing all the time. And, and whether they're young, whether they're old, they need a little bit of that flavor of player development. So as a manager with Arizona, as a manager with Houston and now with Detroit, do you ever find yourself, and look, you're in the middle of the season, so I get this, but do you ever find yourself curious about the draft, reaching out to the guys in the room, stopping by the room, learning about high school player A, B, and C? Look, you're so far away in a way, but are you? Do you find yourself inquiring and will you in the future? Well, you know, I, I do. I do it all the time. I mean, I love the draft. I've been involved in the draft from my high school days. I went through it as a high school senior, went through it as a college junior, a college senior, uh, ended up signing. And then and then when I, when I got into into baseball post playing, um, it was all about the draft come June and in, in, in now July. And it's uh, it's fun to stop by that room. I do think there's a connection between the major leagues and the uh, and the young kids. And I've had a couple of guys that have come back uh, that came through the system as draftees, when they, you know, they get drafted, they get brought to the big leagues and they get to come say hello. And they remember that first meeting with the manager, that first meeting in the, in the dugout when they say hello to you. And, and so I value that. And, and then kids are coming to the big leagues so fast nowadays. I mean, I, you know, you look at, I watched Alex Bregman uh, in, at LSU face um, Aaron Nola. I mean, I'm sorry, I have Aaron Nola in, 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 at Texas A&M. And then two years later, I'm managing him in the big leagues. So it can happen fast. The 20-year-old Carlos Correa, who makes his major league debut, when we, you and I were together in, in Arizona, 19-year-old um, Justin Upton makes his debut. So be careful that you think this draft is too far away because that talent can get to the big leagues very, very quickly. We have the third pick in the draft this year in Detroit. I don't know who it's going to be, high school, college, pitcher, position player. But I know that guy's you know, got a great chance of making it to the big leagues while I'm the manager in Detroit. And so that relationship starts right then, uh, the day that you get in front of him. And the more information you have about him, the more successful that relationship will be. So I'm always perusing that. I'm looking up guys. I'm, you know, I don't weigh in with too much opinion because I'm not the one pulling the trigger. But I, but I love the, 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 the puzzle piece that has to be put together when you're building the team. So you mentioned, you know, being drafted out of college and you elected to go to school. You turned down the draft out of high school. And 
you also chose a degree in psychology and learning a little bit more about that because, you know, it fit better with your schedule, but also you were kind of as a catcher, a team psychologist, mm-hmm. you know, whatever terminology you want to use, but that is definitely true. You're in tune with everyone and you speak to everyone in certain ways. And I also know now you have Chris Fetter on your staff, who is a huge mental guy that, that I think that like, I want him to write a book. I feel like he's so in tune with that part of the game. So from your education at Stanford psychology, playing the position of catcher and now joining the Tigers and a guy like Chris Fetter, how do you use all of that combined um, to, to be more forward thinking with your players and, and realize that, that how things have changed since you were drafted? Well, first off, Chris Fetter is really busy, so he can't write a book for you. So he's got a a day job that he's got to get, he's got to get Casey Mize right and Tarek Skubal right. So don't, don't be offended if he turns down your book deal. Um, But you know, when you, when you, when you're in a management position, meaning manager or in the front office or a pitching coach or head of a department, I mean, it's, it is, it is literally trying to get the best version of that person out of himself. And, and with players, you know, sometimes you have to convince them of their strengths. Sometimes you have to um, handle, let them handle failure in their own way. Uh, but what I've found over the years is, is, is being a mental coach is a, is a huge advantage. You know, we, when I grew up and nobody likes to, oh, back in the day when I grew up, the mental side of the game was often overlooked. And now it's to an extreme. I mean, I've got guys that, 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 that reach out different ways, um, trying to make sure they have that mental edge in order to perform their best on the field. So the evolution of sports psychology in general, I've seen go from kind of taboo all the way to expected out of everybody. On top of that, like the reality is that our sport is built around failure. No matter how good you are, no matter how talented you are, no matter what numbers you put up, you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. That's painful for a person in general. It hurts to, to, to you know, usually you're the best player on your high school team to best player on your college team. You're the best player on the A-ball team all the way up through the minors. Uh, most of the stories are that way. Uh, there are some outliers that aren't that way, but they don't reach failure until they get to the big leagues for the most part, unless there's an injury and they have to overcome it in the, in the, in, as an amateur or in the, in the early minor leagues, we're constantly handling players that are handling failure. Um, so psychology turned out to be a great degree for me. Um, as a catcher, you, you are kind of the field general. That's why a lot of us become managers is where we deal with pitching side and the position player side. But most importantly, we deal with the human side and that's the part of the game that um, was underdeveloped over the last 20 years has evolved. And, and as the numbers have caught up, we're seeing a pretty balanced game. When you think about like your development from going from player to like being on the other side and do think about how the mental game has changed for those who are listening, you know, we've got, we've got parents listening, we've got the players listening, the prospects, what would you say to the prospects who want to improve that part? But also how much does that go into scouting like that you're paying attention to their mental game? Well, just in general, nowadays, there's so many teams that are, that are eliciting like, tests on the psychology of a player. They're learning the, the, the characteristics of the person uh, to complement their skill set. We can show it, you know, we can, we can do, use a stopwatch for a lot of things. We can use a radar gun for a lot of things. Now we can measure everything that you do on the field. The one thing you can't measure is what's going on up here. So that the, my message to the, to the players and the parents is number one, it's okay to seek help. It's okay to, to talk to a professional, to talk to somebody more advanced, someone that's been there, done that, maybe failed on their own. Um, I see that as a strength in, in trying to, to, to make yourself the best version of yourself at any given time. 
The second part of it is that it's going to be expected that you're going to have to be tough up here in order for you to be successful out on the field. And, and it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be handed to you. There are hundreds and hundreds of players that enter the game any given year. That means a hundred multiple exit the game in that same year. So it's a very, very difficult business to be successful. So why wouldn't you cultivate that mental side that how you deal with failure, sometimes how you deal with success. That's, that's, it's, it's, you know, you get to read a lot of sports clip, sport clips now that, that back in the day, you didn't have to read about yourself. You didn't have Twitter. You didn't have Instagram. You didn't, you weren't told and uh, how great you were the entire time. So now we're dealing with success. We're dealing with failure. Sometimes people outside the family or outside of your, your, your bubble um, is, is necessary in order to, to, to give yourself a realistic look at what you got to do to be successful as a player on the field. So that that brings to mind, and it's going to go back to what you said earlier about stopping by the draft room, meeting, uh, you know, occasionally the scouts that are helping, meeting a player when he's a first, second, third round pick. That guy might have been in history class a month ago. Now he's meeting the manager of, in this case, the Tigers, right? So it kind of puts the notion away that the the top field general is not aware of you um, in high school. In this case, let's say for you at Midwest City High School, that they are aware of you if you're an elite player. So. The next, the next case I have, be a scout for me again, AJ, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. What are my controllables? If I walk up to a quad at a PG event knowing I have two games in a day or I'm walking up to my high school field, I hop out of my car, what are my controllables? Because if I'm facing a guy who's, who's got some major game, I mean, that, the game has to be played out, right? But in your mind, kind of what are my controllables either away from the field or when you're watching me in those bleachers? Sure. Well, I think, I mean, away from the field, it's, it's definitely your nutrition. It's definitely your strength training. It's, it's the repetitions that you're getting, not just the number of repetitions, but the quality of repetitions that you're getting. Um, but one thing that I think gets, gets overlooked a little bit in, in this is what you are control, what you can control when you walk into that environment. Like I, I, I'll throw you back when I used to walk onto team USA in Millington, Tennessee, prior to my Olympic team, I would walk out there. The only thing I had was how strong am I? How fast am I? How, how, how good a shape am I in? my arm strength and my routine. And that routine is critical whenever you get into an environment where you're uncomfortable. You're just gonna get challenged again when you get to the big leagues. That routine is all you can really control. You know, whether it's, you know, you watch golfers, you watch, you watch quarterbacks, you watch everybody does the same repetition over and over again for their, for their routine. The, the key for baseball, that's, that's extremely important because you're gonna be put in uncomfortable environments, whether you're staring out at somebody throwing 98, 100 nowadays, or whether you're the pitcher and you look up there and that six foot two, 225 guy named Mike Trout is in the batter's box, you're going to have to have some routine that collects yourself in order to perform. <clears throat> so you can control that in any environment that you're in. You can't control what I think of you. You can't control as a pitcher. You can't control what happens after the ball leaves my hand. You can't control the defense. That's why they have these wonderful metrics like FIP that they can got to get it out of the way of everybody else but you. Just what, what happens with when you, what you control where I throw the ball and, and, and the spin that I put on the ball. Cool. As a hitter, the, the pitches that I swing at, the contact that I make, I can somewhat control if, I'm, if I react correctly. I can't control what happens out in the field. So, um, but it comes back to like in its raw ingredients, your routine is going to carry you from high school all the way to the major leagues. If you're willing to stick with it, change it when you need to, uh, alter it to, to, to more successful habits, off the field, keep your nutrition, keep your fitness, keep your mind right, stay out of the messes and the distractions that happen. Um, those are those are like lecture topics that I would give young players and young coaches to 
to accomplish what you want in this game. It's amazing. I, I folks, I've been in the room. I was lucky enough early in AJ's career to be in the room when they made decisions on athletes, when guys would fight for them on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday or a Monday morning before the guys arrived at 6 a.m., guys up on the chalkboard. And some of those tiny things came into play. Um, yeah, I want to I want to put on notice all our travel and high school coaches and heck, it can be little league. I don't really care. And uh, I guess I want to ask you, AJ, what advice you would have for, for those that are out there essentially in some ways. And I mean, it's very respectfully, but doing the same thing you're doing. You're taking a collection of men or if it's softball, women, young women and all these other factors in their lives, whether it's millionaires or whether it's guys mm -hmm. worried he got a C minus on his test. It still weighs on his brain, right? What advice do you have for coaches out there dealing with young athletes as someone who still does, maybe just a few years older, just a couple of nuggets you would have for those coaches that may drop this podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, one of the things, first off, is you got to let players be players. You know, you got to let them be themselves. And, and, and the cookie cutter days, the one size fits all style of coaching, the this is the only way you can hit in the big leagues. I mean, I can show you 50 different stances on elite caliber athletes that, that hit the ball. Their stance is different. They may get to their foot plan at the same time and their timing mechanism might be pretty similar, but they're different players. Some are five foot six, some are six foot six, a lot of in between. Let the players be themselves and develop the players that are on your team to their individual best under the umbrella of a team concept. That is it's critically important. Probably easier for me to do at the major league level because I can I can flip players out left and right. I can um, we can trade them, we can we can release them, we can sign them to long-term deals. I mean, there's it's it's complicated, but let the players be themselves. Um, you know, secondly, let them fail. You know, it's they're, they're, they, you can correct them, uh, but you put them in a position to be successful, let them experience success, let them experience failure, and then respond accordingly on how to develop the player. Those are really key to me because I, 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 I'm not out on the circuit. Um, I don't know all the competition issues and, and the different things that people are willing to do, but you've got to make it about the players, you've got to make it about them individually, and ultimately, you got them to let them learn the game succeeding and failing. I'm looking for a story. I'm hoping maybe you could share <laughs> um, a favorite scouting story that, you know, you think of often or you refer to often that maybe impacted you, that helped you, that taught you a lesson, something that kind of sticks out in your mind um, from those days. <clears throat> Man, there were some really, some really good ones. I mean, from a um, you know, from a player standpoint, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of the um, tournaments and a lot of the showcases that, that are done now back when I was in high school. But I remember even in, in college, too, is anytime I'd see a group of men, um, now it's evolved. Now there's women involved in, in scouting, which I wholeheartedly support. Yeah. But you have a group of baseball people that are now uh, standing off to the side. And you're always looking at them like, are they looking at me? Are they watching me? If I overthrow a ball in between innings, that anxiety that happens. And then if I do something really good and you puff your chest out a little bit. <laughs> I remember I remember a scout pulling me aside in high school and him saying, you know what? Um, you're good enough. Like you're good enough. Don't, don't try to overdo it. Don't try to impress anybody. Like just be you. And that scout was Dave Owen. And Dave Owen, who's now ironically with the Tigers, um, as the field coordinator, he's been a farm director. He played in the big leagues. Um, Dave Owen drafted me. I didn't sign with the White Sox that year, but he told me, don't, you're good enough. Like, don't, don't try to be something more than your best. Um, and that stuck with me as a high school senior, desperately wanting to get drafted, desperately wanting to sign out of high school. I would have missed out on Stanford, would have missed out on the Olympics. I would have missed out on my, my early years. 
Um, but that was, that's my story. But Dave Owen entrenched that in me from the get-go. I'm somebody who wanted to be a perfectionist. I wanted to do everything perfect. Um, and, I'll, and I'll always appreciate that. On the flip side, I've tried to do that with some players. Mm -hmm. uh, back when I was with the Padres and I was in the scouting department, um, I over oversaw uh, scouting and player development. And it, um, it was good to, uh, to get out in the field and go see players. And I'll never forget going, there's two, two showcases that I saw, or two main events, so to speak, that I saw. Francisco Lindor faced off against Javier Baez. And if you want to, if you want to feel like a small scout in the industry, go out to an event like that and look around and you see some big boys in the, in the industry out there watching these two guys. And, and I had an, an old time scout that said to me and said, Hey, what do you, which one do you like better? You know, and I'd ramble through an answer, you know, I like to talk and I'm like, Hey, you know, I like Lindor's gracefulness. And I like, boy, Baez looks like a powerful guy. He says, don't worry about it. They're both getting to the big leagues. And then I was just, I just kind of stopped in my tracks and like, you put you in your place, you're, you know, <laughs> right away. Like, you know, I don't know whether A or B was better, but they both made it to the big leagues. And that scout was right. I love that. So, so, you know, you mentioned like the big groups of people and that kind of leads me into the next story. I'm hoping you can share and shed some light on 2003, you go to the winter meetings, you're looking for a future job. So, you know, more <laughs> groups of people standing around who are intimidating and yeah. you never feel like you say the right thing. I'm constantly um, in a state of chaos um, at those meetings, but you took it upon yourself to go do that. I mean, yeah. paint me a picture of what that was like for you. Okay. So I got drafted in, in 1996 it was my last draft and, and played in the Olympics. And then I ended up signing in 1997. I played in the minor leagues, 1998, I make it to the big leagues. And so I had fast forwarded right to the big leagues one year out of college. I'm facing Pedro Martinez. I'm catching Tom Candiotti, the knuckleballer. By far the hardest debut, I say, in the history of baseball. I like telling that story. It's, it's the hardest debut in the history of baseball, which is why I get punched out a couple of times and I had a pass ball. So totally not my fault. Um, but I, you know, I joke about it, but then that's only a year removed from college. Now, fast forward, that gave me five years to be a good self-evaluator. So when I started going to the winter meetings, I was super curious about the rest of the sport. How did it all operate? The front office side, the intellectual curiosity, the how they put teams together. And, and um, it was right in my backyard in Arizona. So I, I didn't travel for it. It was right where I was living with my wife. And so um, I went up and saw Billy Bean and Sandy Alderson and um, Kevin Tower, the late Kevin Towers was there. And, um, you know, it's it just such a, such Walt Jockety, just great, his, like Dave Dombrowski, just huge names in our industry on that side of the game. And, and it's just kind of picked their brains a little bit. Part of it, because I, had, I knew I wanted to do something bigger than, than playing or something beyond playing. Yeah. The other side of it is I knew that those sliders were not getting easier to hit. And that was bothering me. So I knew I was going to be out of the game if I didn't make the adjustments offensively. So um, all in all, it was a huge experience for me. I jumped right into the front office after I got done playing. Um, in 2000, I got done with 2005 and, and became a farm director right away. And little did I know, three years later, Sutton and I were going to be in Phoenix, um, and I became the manager of the Diamondbacks. So what a whirlwind career I've had so far. And just a quick follow-up. Do you feel like that going there and doing that was, like, really pivotal? Like, do you think you'd be on the track that you are if you didn't do that? I don't know. I think it's mostly just kind of how I'm built. I mean, I'm intellectually curious about everything. I mean, I want to figure it out, and I want to learn, and I want to see how other people do their job. I mean, I was just suspended for a year, which – um, you know, it was horrible being out of the game, but it gave me an opportunity to watch 30 managers manage and 30 GMs put teams together. And I was in touch with a lot of them and I, I'm still close friends with them, but 
it was interesting to me to take a step back. I always want to learn something, whether I'm pursuing some sort of career or whether I'm, I'm in a situation where I didn't have any other choice than to watch baseball last year. And that um, it's important to be intellectually curious. That's kind of how I've always been. It's how Darren and I developed a nice friendship and um, just being wondering how, how the engine operates. How do you do your job? How do I do my job? How do we connect with people? Um, that's the, that's the part that I, that I, that I love the most about, about being in the game. Here, here, my friend, here, here, growing during a suspended time. I've been there too. And, and, and paying attention and, and learning other parts of the game or where, what may be next for you. Right. And, and what you want to do next. Um, I, I, my final question for you is kind of a simple minded one, but I think people would love your opinion because there is no right answer. I think it's just fun looking at your top prospects. If I look at your top 10 on the team, you're currently about to, to take charge of, you see Spencer Torkelson. And I did a little research. This was the 241st ranked player out of high school, right? At Casa Grande high school in Petaluma, California, Casey Mize, was in uh, Springville High School in Alabama. He was the 127th ranked right-handed pitcher. But then you get Riley Green, perfect game All-American, Matt Manning, perfect game All-American, Daz Cameron, perfect game All-American, right? Boom, high school, go. It's just amazing the impact that college can have. And you're a testament to that too, although you were a lot higher ranked than those two guys. But with such a value and with the evolution of our sport and the shrinking of the minor leagues, I think college, college baseball and, you know, you chose, but college baseball is now, even in junior college, level, more important than ever. Well, I think it's important. I, I love, I love college baseball. I think it's, I think that it's such an individual question that you have to ask yourself. For sure. To the draft, right. So there's financial implications. Um, I remember standing in front of Carlos Correa, the first pick overall when he was in Puerto Rico and it was a hundred percent that he was going to sign. Um, and, the, and the type of money that was being offered to him, um, any of us, you know, don't, don't have a problem with him signing the, the, the maturity physically and emotionally that players need to have and demonstrate in order to take that leap into a great cities around the country, but a professional life is just so much different than that, that, that ramp of growth that happens when you go to college. Um, I have a college age daughter. She's a freshman. Um, I don't want to just throw her out in an apartment in a big city. I want her to go to college and have that graceful entrance into adulthood. Right. Um, but, you know, when you're good enough, some of these guys make it to the big leagues at 18, 19, 20 years old. I totally get it. Um, and I know, we, you know, we're not uh, biased one way or other. You know, team is ever biased one way or the other. It has to be college. It has to be high school. But they have to be mature and they have to be able to handle the road that's in, ahead of them in order for them to reach the big leagues. It's it's nice to be a professional player. Um, there's a lot. Of, all I wanted to do growing up was be a professional player and, and get it to get to the big leagues. Um, but now as a parent, I look back and go, man, I'm glad my parents were pretty firm with me that the best decision for me was to go to college. The best decision for me was to get an education and go to Stanford, develop as a player under Coach Marquis, uh, Hall of Fame, you know, uh, coach out at Stanford. Um, the relationships that I built, the, the life that I got to live, the, the things that I was exposed to, my, my lifetime friends that I had there. I'm very pro-college in that environment. Uh, you know, but it gets tough. It gets tough because teams, we, we offer a lot of money and a lot of opportunity and that we dangle that carrot as a dream. But we need to make sure that college baseball is in line with what we're doing in professional baseball. We're not competitors. We're all interested in developing talent, cultivating people, uh, developing the human, and ultimately finding the best of the best that get to come up to the big leagues and perform in front of everybody um, for 30 teams in the big leagues. If we can all agree on that, then we will grow our sport in all facets and the right players will choose college. The right players will sign out a pro and we'll, we'll, we'll get the best of the best when they get to the big leagues. 
Yeah, I did have one more if that was okay, just based on what you just said to the parents who, you know, we see a lot at these events and, um, you know, some are in the back and and they're watching and letting their kid do their thing. Some are in the stands and, and they're pretty vocal, just kind of hearing what you said about, you know, parents and what they did for you um, to the parents who are listening and who are concerned about their kids, um, you know, in a pandemic, they're concerned about their kids, whatever it may be when it comes to making that decision, like what you know now and and heading into 2021, like what do you say to parents today who are, are freaking out about their kids or concerned about that? Well, I'm freaking out about the pandemic too. I mean, no one likes what we've gone through in 2020 and and certainly, you know, my, my daughter, like I said, has, has enjoyed her freshman year in the comfort, comfort of our house, which is good for the parents, not so good for a freshman wanting to spread her wings and, yeah. and fly a little bit. I mean, the opportunities are going to be there. There's not one way to make it to the big leagues. Yeah. There's not one, one path or one, um, you know, sort of formula that, that you have to be in the big leagues by age X. I can give you examples of 30-year-old rookies. I can give you examples of high draft picks, low draft picks. Um, superstars that were made from the, from felt like from the womb, they were going to be superstars from the day they picked up a bat. Um, it, you know, to me, it's, it's about the individual and, and the opportunities are going to be there. Um, but one of the things, again, I want to urge parents and coaches is let them succeed and let them fail. I'll give you a good, quick little story here from when I was a farm director um, in, I mean, I'm a farm director in assistant GM in San Diego. I go out to a ball. We're in Fort Wayne, Indiana, one of the best places you can go watch a, an, an a ball team play. And, and, and we go to Fort Wayne, and I have Max Freed there. So I think seventh or eighth pick overall, probably a, a, a high school All-American. Incredible. He and Lucas Giolito were the two best high school pitchers that I saw in my, in my short scouting career. Max Freed got knocked around for five runs in the first inning, and his dad was sitting nearby, and he was squirming in his seat. He was very nervous. And, and we just watched Max Freed have an incredible season in Atlanta. Um, Cy Young votes, anchored a pitching staff that was one win away from the World Series. I was really happy that he got beat up that day in the first inning. And while his dad's squirming, I'm like, yes, like he's going to learn how to push through that lack of strike throwing. He's going to be able to push through that, that, that every pitch that I throw over the plates getting, you know, crushed on line drive after line drive. And they're spraying the ball all over the field. Failure's good. You, you have to push these guys to the point of where they can, they understand what it takes to the difference between success and failure. Learn from your failures and develop your strengths for your successes. Um, that to me is a key lesson as you start to, to, to plan for your child's future. Um, just don't, don't think they have to be perfect. They call it perfect game, but it's not perfect. And neither is your, neither is your child, unfortunately. And this game will expose that and it's how they respond to that is gonna be how successful they are. So now you're gonna write a book with Chris Fetter, right? When you guys are <laughs> I'm old. pretty busy right now, but there'll be a book about retired. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was awesome. That's uh, I love that story. That's a that's a great story. Awesome. I'd like to help you write a chapter or two of that book. I hear you. <laughs> you. You know a lot about part of that part of that book. I know that. We've had some fun times, man. <laughs> hey, listen. Um, thank you. So I think the cool thing about these scouts' eyes segments is the fact that you know obviously we watched players in 2020 deal with the pandemic. They're going to deal with it in 2021 too. So predictions from guys like the, the pride of the Midwest and one of the key leaders for perfect game, Brian Sikowski, mean a lot because he saw these guys struggle through 2020, but yet they didn't struggle in their growth and metrics. They struggled in other ways. So here is Brian Sikowski. He looks ahead to 2021 through a scout's eyes. As we finish out what has obviously been a 
tumultuous year in 2020, we're going to take this opportunity to look forward to 2021 a little bit and run through some predictions uh, throughout the amateur baseball world. Starting with the College World Series, I know it's probably a boring pick, but I'm going to take Florida. They look loaded right now. Um, unbelievably talented, unbelievably deep. The veterans all the way down to the freshmen, they're going to have a ton of guys drafted over the next three years. I'm going to go with Florida. I know that's probably boring. On the JUCO side, going to stick with uh, the College of Southern Nevada as my JUCO World Series picks. Um, I'm going to have them number one preseason heading in and sort of a look forward to January JUCO content there. Uh, and who knows? It's a crapshoot every year with JUCO, so we'll see. But but as of right now, going to pick College of Southern Nevada to, to win it in Grand Junction. And now moving towards the draft, uh, let's see how outlandish I can get. Um, my prediction is that the first overall pick will be not Kumar Rocker. Uh, I will take the field on that bet. And perhaps even more outlandish, I'm going to say that there's only two high school players taken in the top 10 picks overall. Who those players are going to be, we'll find out eventually. Um, I think that Jordan Lawler, the shortstop from Texas, will be the first high school player drafted. That'll be my prediction right now, uh, looking forward about seven months. And obviously have to close with Juco. I'm going to say that the first Juco player taken is Ricky Tiedemann. And perhaps even more interesting, it's pretty unlikely that Ricky Tiedemann even plays Juco ball this spring because it's not looking good for California Juco in terms of having a spring season. So I'm going to I'm gonna say he's the first Juco player taken without ever having thrown a single Juco inning. You're home in Chicago now, JP, and that's a good thing, right? Home to be with family, friends, and loved ones. So since you're home, take me back in the way back machine and put your White Sox ace uniform on for me. And tell me who you are as a young man. That's such a cool program. And you're a product now of that program. You're being talked about as a possible first or second rounder, but you are a product of that program. So who were you way back when, maybe 2013, 2012, when you had that White Sox ace uniform on? Let me put my goggles on and watch who you were. Tell me who I'm looking at and how proud you were to wear that uniform. Um, 12 and 13, so that was probably my beginning days, and man, I was, I was probably still starstruck at that time. I, going, growing up, you see a lot of these guys, and even guys that you know playing for the White Sox Ace program, and I don't know, for me, the biggest thing, and I don't know if everyone goes through this, they didn't let us wear metal spikes when I was 12. And so the ACE program, you didn't get into until you were 13. And so you would hear the guys walking on concrete with these metal spikes and playing under the lights. And so they were always on the big field. And it was just super exciting. I remember just dreaming of being in that position one day. So when I made the ACE program, I was, I was just ecstatic. I was, I was the nerd that was ready to get after it. That was five foot two and 120 pounds. Didn't have a lot to me, but I was really ready to go out there and grind and win ball games. So I, I want to get out of the vacuum. I think I'm kind of doing the ACE program a disservice if I speak of it just with the three of us, right? We're in our little huddle talking about it. A whole bunch of people listening to this podcast won't know what the ACE program is. Why don't you describe it to me? The ACE program is a funded organization by the Major League White Sox. They provide us with great coaching. Um, I mean, great I don't even know what else I can really say about it. They just really do the best to make sure that we're in a position to succeed. They give us all the uniforms, all the equipment we need, and 
they make sure that we're in a position that we can be successful. I mean, we have guys that come back like Corey Ray, Ro Coleman, all types of mentors in the world. And I think that's one of the best things that they offer us is the ability to see someone in the position you want to be. It gives you hope, especially when you're younger, understanding that you can do it as long as you work hard and you have someone you can always rely on when you have questions. And so that was some of the biggest things that I got. And I think the key is, sorry to jump in one more time, I think the key, JP, is um, all the things you're talking about, the tenets that it provides certainly are important, but also it provides it to some people who might not be able to jump into travel baseball financially, right? Yeah, it, it's definitely driven towards inner city kids, um, guys that weren't necessarily blessed with the most at a young age. I mean, definitely have a good base in most situations, but not always financially, you know, beneficial in terms of what their parents can provide. But that's where the ACE program really steps in and tries to give you that opportunity to really get you out of the situation you may be in and show you that it's a higher road that you can take as long as you work hard. So now that you've been through this program, now that your name comes up in every Google search when it comes to the 2021 Major League Draft and you have seen the fruits of your labor, you talked about, you know, when you're, when you're first starting, how, old, how tall you were, how much you weighed, I know that those numbers have grown astronomically, but you've seen what a program like that can do. When you think about your Major League career how does something like that fit in? How do you want to give back? And, you know, we've talked a lot about to a lot of different guys about um, not only maintaining the number of African-American players in the league, but growing it and, and making sure those opportunities do exist and are plentiful. So when you look back, you know, what do you think about how you want to impact that? For me, it's, it's really just looking back at what helped me the most and trying to provide that and more. And that was simply seeing guys come back. I mean, so often, especially when you're talking about inner city kids, you see people on TV and if they don't necessarily look like you, it kind of destroys that hope that you have, which, I mean, it's kind of getting off topic, but I think that's the reason why you see a lot of guys strive for the NBA or the NFL because you have people that you can resent with and you can really understand. And so for someone like baseball, I think it's huge and it'll, it'll be vital, especially for someone like me to be able to come back to be able to influence these kids, let them know that there are opportunities as long as you work hard and also try to bring people with me. I mean, I, I would like to think I have the personality to bring a couple friends with me. They'll be willing to help me out. <laughs> and so, you know, once I get, I mean, God willing, if I can get to the next level and even where I am today, I, I try to come back and help as much as possible, watch the kids work out, practice, just let them know that they can do it. They just got to keep working hard. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So I want to I want to switch a little bit here. Um, just learning about, you know, growing up in Chicago, you're 10 minutes from White Sox Stadium, but you're a Mets fan. Is that right? Um, <laughs> Are you a Mets fan? I would say I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Jacob deGrom fan. Okay. So okay. That, that ultimately leads me to enjoy watching the Mets a lot. Yes. Okay. You're watching a lot more of those games. So I'm scrolling through your Twitter feed and I see, you know, you're, you're retweeting every guy under the sun, clearly that you respect pitching Ninja, you know, is probably one of your favorite pages and Rob Freeman does a great job, but um, for, for you to zero in on a guy like that, you know, but you've also got Strasburg and Scherzer, um, just all of those guys, what do you pick apart? What do you take and how do you stay true to yourself, but also see that they've been so successful clearly they're doing something right too yeah for for me it, it's always just trying to learn the game and perfect my craft I mean 
I, I do feel comfortable where I am in terms of what I've been working on and what I do on the mound, but I'm always trying to look for tips and tricks that I can get better and that I can improve and gain an advantage on a hitter. And for me, somebody, especially like DeGrom, I, I see a lot of parallels between our games, just physically and mentally. The, the way the guy go out, goes out there every day and just competes and He's not a big, I like to call it a rah-rah guy where he's showing a ton of emotion. And I've been that way for my entire life, primarily because of my mom. She never really liked showing emotion at all, especially when it was going bad. She always said she should never know the score of the game without looking at the box score. And so that's something that I really admire about him. But that, I mean, for a guy like that, especially you, you try to look at those that are, that are having success. And if you can try to kind of model your game after that and, be half of what a guy like DeGrom or Scherzer or Strasburg is, she'll be in a pretty good position. And have you met DeGrom? No, no, it's in the near future. I feel it. I don't know what it is, but you know, something <laughs> inside of me, I feel that it's coming. <laughs> I love it. I love the optimism. <laughs> I was scrolling actually through your dad's Twitter feed recently uh, in oh, researching man. this, and he put something very cool out. Marvin Freeman, a lot of, again, I'm going into subjects where it needs explanation like I asked you to do with the ACE program, Marvin Freeman pitched in the big leagues well for a long time, but his fingerprints are on the game um, with guys like you. I mean, he's a teacher of the game. He shares the game. He's passionate about teaching the game. He's involved with, you know, the MLB breakthrough series at a very high level, but there was a video he tweeted out recently. I'm sure you saw it because your dad shared it of you at about 12 and then you currently, I mean, pretty currently, so tell me a little bit about Marvin Freeman and where his fingerprints are on you and what you have learned. The video was epic because it's like, boy, man, there was like three or four of you guys, boy, man. Um, how cool was that to see that? And, and how has, uh, how has Marvin kind of helped you grow as a pitcher? Yeah. I mean, he, he's been in my life since I was about 10 years old and sometimes you wish he didn't know you that well. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, everything that you see on the mound is, directly benefited from working out with him and working with him for numerous years. And I mean, he knows me better than anybody. So just having a resource like that, that I can call on, like I said, I have great coaches in Minnesota that I can always reach out to, but to have someone that I've known and that knows me and my body since I was 10 years old, I can always call him for a mechanical adjustment, or even if he hears something that I'm doing wrong, he can always kind of find what was going on just because he knows me so well. So having somebody like that, especially, like you said, he had a pretty good big league career. And so even when I'm struggling or if it's something mental, he can always be there for me. And so I call him Uncle Marvin. <laughs> He's been a part of this family for a long time. And so I'm just trying to keep working and always go back to him when I need help. You ever seen the movie Losing Isaiah? Yeah. Yes, I have. Why do you think I bring that up? Um, because my mother was in it. She was acting. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about her acting career and her journey <laughs> and what you've learned watching her act. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I tried to deny for a long time, but there's also a lot of parallels between acting and, and baseball. I mean, they're, they're both performance-based, you know, activities, and it's, it's a lot of pressure for both of them. And, I mean, I've been blessed to have her, and she, she did pull back a little bit from her acting career just to be with me and spend time with me. I mean, that's something that both my parents are really big into is just always being there for me. And my dad works from home and she has a catering business as well from home. And so they didn't miss many games. If I was at a perfect game tournament, they were there, trust me. And so it was something that, that meant a lot to know that they were always going to be there. But for her acting, I'm super excited to see her get back into it kind of full-fledged now that I'm kind of growing up and becoming this young man and 
man, it's always fun to look back at some of her old movies and things like that, and just see her doing what she loves. JP, your freshman year, there was this evolution, and I see three games in a row. I think it was South Dakota State, uh, Nebraska, and Northwestern, all three games in a row. I think one of them might have even been a start. But you, you dealt. I mean, you dealt in those three games, right? You went through normal things. I once was a freshman pitching in college too, right? You went through those things where you're, you're looking for the light switch in the dark, you're reaching, you're reaching, and then you find it, right? You find it. Your skill set, probably you will tell me, was not dramatically different, but yet you rounded out who you were as a pitcher. So your freshman year, those three outings, I think a couple were relief, Northwestern, Nebraska, one South Dakota State. What happened then, and, and what did it mean to you to – I think it was nine and a third and 11 strikeouts, no runs allowed. And in, in that one week's time, what, what light bulb went off in your head? Yeah, if you, um, if, you, if you actually look the week before, I think I pitched, I got one out and gave up five runs. And so I've been there too. I've done that yeah, too. Yeah, so it's just interesting to see the way that baseball shakes up. But honestly, I speak about that because that was one of the most important parts of my freshman year. That game I started, I, I believe it was against University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee or something like that. And they, 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 yeah, they got me. I won't speak too much further into it, but they got me. And that was, that was kind of like, like that turning moment for me. And it was one of those situations where you can either fall back and take pity and say, why can't I do this? Or you can figure out how to get better. And so I knew personally that I kind of felt like I let my team down. And so I never wanted to be in that position again. And it was simply just putting in the extra work day in and day out and staying confident. I mean, those games happened. It wasn't that I was just out there walking the world or anything. They just got to me. And so it was really just understanding that I'm still a talented arm. I still can go out there and compete against anyone in the country. I talked to my pitching coach and it wasn't just all me getting through this. Obviously it was having coaches and parents behind me. And then going out there the next week, I just knew just go out there and repeat the same thing. Go out there and trust your, trust your mechanics, trust your stuff and just go get these guys. And then from there, you kind of see that confidence build as you have more success. I came home, got a little bit of home cooking at Northwestern, was able to go out there and deal. And then it was my mom's birthday. And that, that's what I put, a mm. test the Nebraska one too. So I had to perform. If she was going to be missing <laughs> out of her birthday dinner to come see me, I had to perform it. So it just kind of all worked together at the end. And it was just fun to see. And I kind of carried that same confidence into the next season. Right. So then the next season, and now Max Meyer's gone and, and, you know, a legitimate pro and is going to have a great career as a pro. But it felt like in that shortened, teeny tiny season you had that you're outing against Arizona, who I know very well because I live out here in Jay Johnson's team. You went four and two thirds and you, you dropped seven strikeouts on him. And then against Cooper Stinson, I believe it was in the dome at Duke. You struck out eight and five and two thirds. So you pitched into the sixth. You touched 95. All those things happened. It's one thing to do what you did your freshman year, but then your sophomore year, in hindsight, that's when you proved you could fill the shoes of the guy who was the high draft pick. Those few outings had to be nice for your confidence as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I, again, it, it started – I don't know why. Hopefully we can change it because that last year started off with a rough outing the first time. So hopefully this year we can just start out fresh out of the gate and just be smooth. But, yeah, like I said, it was always nice having somebody like Max to just watch and see how he works and goes about his business and compete against. I mean, the competitive nature is what kind of drives me in this sport and it's kind of what has led me to have success. And so seeing him go out there, especially that Duke game, the night before he went out and went CG against a North Carolina team with, I don't know, 
12, 13 strikeouts, whatever it was. So it was some big shoes to fill for sure. And I mean, one thing that I really try to focus on is while I, I take a lot of things from him and he's one of my best friends, I, I try not to focus on trying to replace him by any means just because we're two total different people. And for me, it's just going out there and being the best version of myself to help my team win. And I want them to have the confidence that every time I step on the mound, they're going to be in that ball game. They're going to have a chance to win that game and they should have fun because I'm going to go out there and do my best to have fun as well. So real quick for, for me, so picture shelves, right? Picture a pantry. If you're looking up at all your favorite snacks, you know, they're all within reach. Take your mind and let it, take your mind and let it be a pantry. I'd like to know what shelf it goes on when I like, I'm looking at the PG mock draft, right? And you know, you're going second round here. You are to the diamondbacks. I'm looking at the draft 300. That's just perfect game. Everyone else is, those articles, you're human. I'm sure you see them on occasion. Where does it go on the shelf in your mind? Where does that go? What's its proper place in your mind? What shelf does it go on? So that on occasion, you could take it off that shelf, but where does it go in your mind? Uh, for me, honestly, it, it, I, I do see it. I mean, I'm on social media. It pops up, especially. If I someone... wouldn't believe you if you told me you didn't. I'd be honest <laughs> with you. It would, it would feel like a, like, a, like a false humility, and I, you know, because you are humble, that your actions show you're humble. But I don't know that I'd believe you. So I do appreciate the modern athlete. You guys are at least admitting, like, of course I see it. So now, take it. Sorry. Yeah, no, I see it. I mean, some of them are great. Some of them aren't. I mean, that's just fuel to the fire. And I respect everyone's opinion. Everyone has the right to make the decision that they feel is correct. I mean, but all I can do is just focus on me and go out there and prove why I deserve to be a top pick. And at the end of the day, for me, I'm not a guy that really focuses on the draft. So I kind of have to put it lower on the shelves just because I know as long as I go out there and I take care of my, my side of the bargain, go out there, perform, compete, all of those things, it'll kind of take care of itself. And so I'm really, like I said, this COVID thing is, really emphasize just focusing on the day. And all I'm focusing on is just going out there and trying to win with my team, just enjoying the time that I have with them, enjoying the time that I have with some of these seniors that are leaving this year. And that's, that's the most important thing. The, the whole draft situation, uh, which I learned from Max, especially a guy that was really highly touted. He had a lot of scouts coming every single week, but he was able to just kind of put his blinders on and just focus on the task at hand. And I think that's what led to him being such a great draft pick is that he didn't really focus on it at all. Well, what's on that? Like, so it's a lower shelf. So what, is it like Cheez-Its by it? What's, what, what's there? No, Cheez-Its are pretty high. I'm, I'm Cheez-Its are a good thing. Cheez okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Probably by like the protein bars, you know, I try, if I, if I get some protein, it'll probably just be a shake. So we'll just throw those down there by the protein bars and, you know, they can be good to see every once in a while, get some confidence, but at the end of the day, they're not the best tasting. So the bad ones, you just slide to the left with those. Mock draft protein bars on that shelf together. Got it. Sorry, Danny. Now we've got it cleared up. That was, I mean, honestly, the most pressing issue of business we had here today on Absolutely. the podcast. These things matter. Like, you can't ignore these things. Like, if it's in your pantry, where, where in the heck are you going to put it? Seriously. For sure. No, the cheeses have to go pretty high up there. You got to keep the cheeses pretty high. Actually, you got them. The there you go. He's got a box of cheeses. Yeah. Hey. We just got a sponsor for the podcast. We got to share some of the funds. Once, once, he, once he leaves school, we can share the funds. In a few years, it'll be legal to share the funds yeah. with the college athlete, but not yet. Yeah. So, wow. Sure. You actually, did that creep you out that I mentioned Cheez-Its? Did that kind of make you think that 
we had other cameras? <laughs> no, it was honestly kind of scary crazy. that I mentioned Cheez-Its and you had a box right there. <laughs> yeah, no, that is. I, it's been, it's one of those things that I never would have noticed except for the fact that you said it. So it was just like a big stop sign in front of me. I nice. can't have boxes of Cheez-Its with me because honestly, I have no self-control. Like a box no, is gone the day it's They become gone. empty boxes of Cheez-Its real <laughs> yeah. quickly. Yeah, there's no like, it doesn't exist that it slowly goes down. It's literally housed in a day. So good for you, yeah. man. Especially um, if you get a good movie going. Oh, it's no Yeah, way. exactly. <laughs> it's it's really easy. And on the planes, you know, they give you the little bags. I'm like, can I just have a couple more? Do you mind? And they bug out. Their eyes are like, how dare you ask us? It never seems to be enough with those little bags. No, <laughs> it never is. It never is. So my last, um, you know, two for you or one really is, you know, I've noticed how you're very thoughtful. You are clearly paying close attention, not only to the guys who are um, in the show, but also your peers around you. Um, and so I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the news about the Negro Leagues and the recognition through Major League Baseball um, of its stats, of its history, and incorporating all of that now into Major League Baseball, but just some of the names and the, the men who came through those leagues and what they did for the game. I was just wondering, I'm sure you saw that news, if you had any thoughts on that at all. Yeah, no, it, it's exciting. I mean, especially kind of growing up, you were always introduced to the Negro ladies and things like that, but it was kind of always put off on the back burner, just like appreciate what they've done for the game, but mm -hmm. it's not the game you're trying to get to. And so to see them be credited for what they've done is, is really impactful. And for me, I've done my fair share of research on some of them. Somebody like Stafford Page, I actually did a video for them that I, I turned into the White Sox. I, I got second place. I'm still a little upset about that, but they brought <laughs> me down to the field. And so it was still exciting to do wow. something like that. But I mean, yeah, to see these guys get the credit that they deserve. I mean, they worked really hard. They weren't necessarily granted the opportunity to show what they can do mm -hmm. in a, a major league, you know, system or whatever you want to call it. And so it's really nice to see those guys get credit for that. And these, these record books are going to look a lot different going forward, for sure. I think the interesting thing, going back to the whole Scouts Eyes segment, and we're going to listen to Jeremy Brown, who sees very clearly the 13, 14, 15-year-old athlete is seeing how they adapted to the challenges of this year. Many of those 14 and 15-year-olds were college commits in a year when everything was so bad. Oh, it was so good. So we're listening, Jeremy. We're pressing our ear to our device. What is Jeremy Brown's prediction through the scout's eyes looking ahead to 2021? With the new year coming up, what I want to talk about this week isn't so much a resolution as it is kind of a prediction, kind of where things I think are going to go. Not, not necessarily a particular player or a team, but within the whole recruiting landscape in and of itself. This past year... Uh, Division One recruiting coordinators, coaching staffs weren't allowed out on the road due to COVID-19 from the NCAA. That date keeps getting pushed further and further back. I'm hoping, predicting that they're going to get to get back out on the road, get back to recruiting, get back to kind of some normalcy where the players are going to get seen as opposed to in person, as opposed to just being seen on video or with Rapsodo or TrackMan or timing kinetic numbers get back to the way things were where college coaches are going to be out crowding behind the backstop making the wwbas what they are making for those really crowded nights in georgia behind the backstop when that one big uncommitted arm that everybody's after or that one bat that that just popped up and starts making buzz around the diamonds whether it's a college coach just saying hey go check out this guy or a couple of them you see them scurry off to the next field 
I think uh, eventually we are going to see all the recruiting coordinators back out on the road, and I hope it's sooner rather than later. And just something that's that's a prediction. It's not a bold prediction, as it's going to happen at some point. And hopefully it's just sooner rather than later. Hunter Pence, great major leaguer. We all know that. Did it in a unique way, right? And a world champion. And Hunter Pence also gives back to baseball. There's Hunter Pence Baseball Academy. He's reaching the youth game, and he's been doing it as an active player. I think that's what's very cool. He's also my co-host on Perfect Game College Baseball, heard each week at 10 o'clock Eastern on Sirius XM's ESPNU. I put he and Andrew Checkets together. This is one of the more progressive, advanced coaches. He's the head coach at UC Santa Barbara. I put the two of them together and talked about tech and talked about using the mind and motivating the player. Here's a couple of slices of that pizza pie. This is great. Hunter and Andrew, go. Andrew, I want to ask you a little bit because obviously everywhere you've gone, um, pitching has been kind of, it's improved. And, and you're known as one of the best pitching coaches out there. Um, so for me, I like to get into the nitty-gritty of the baseball stuff. Give me some pillars of success with pitching and like what's some of the process as you develop your, your pitchers in, in your organizations? Yeah, I, I – I tell people this all the time and it doesn't, you know, I hope it doesn't come across like, you know, false modesty or anything like that. But I mean, you really have to have something to work with. Uh, that's the, the reality of it. I think anybody that's getting credit for having good players or good coaches or good teams, they, you know, it starts on the recruiting side of things. And, and we've had, you know, everywhere I've been, we've recruited at a competitive letter level and, um, you know, as a, as a staff and we've had, we've had good players. So the, the success that we've had here uh, on the mound, you know, the foundation of that is, you know, competitive, aggressive recruiting and, and good evaluation. And um, we've had staff members that have done a, a nice job with that to bring in, you know, the, the raw clay that you need to, to be able to mold. And I, I think trying to be, you know, we're not a hundred percent on that recruiting's not an exact science and, um, we're trying to know what we can do and what we can't do on the development side of things. And we have a tendency to focus more on guys that, that throw strikes and have some projection. And, um, you know, as we go back and look back at the guys that have had success for us almost across the board, it's the high level uh, pitchers for us didn't have a lot of velocity. So maybe they weren't uh, heavily recruited by some other programs and uh, they had, uh, a lot of feel and the ability to throw strikes and, you know, command their fastball or, or command multiple pitches and, and had some projection on their body or their frame. And so we feel like, you know, our, our success on the mound hinges on, you know, who we recruit and what we can fix. We try to avoid the guy that throws 95 and throws it to the back south. We just haven't had a lot of luck with those guys um, in terms of the development. And then, you know, once they get here, we're trying to create a competitive environment where everything matters and all the details matter. And it, it's difficult to cruise through practice. You don't get to have a lot of days where you just hang out and uh, and feel like if you can create that environment, the guys with a, an emphasis and a focus on getting better, that you know, the, the guys gravitate to that. So how, how, Danny, as we listened to all these great conversations, and it was fun. I mean, that was really fun. I guess the most appropriate thing that comes to mind when I think of these conversations is, do you celebrate Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Oh, you're asking me. Yeah. I mean, that's oh. what comes to mind. My I mean, family. When I listen to AJ and when I listen to JP, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, 
do you celebrate Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? I'm actually really lucky. My family is half Jewish and half Catholic. And so we were very big on tradition. So a lot of times, you know, we're obviously celebrating Hanukkah, Hanukkah ended. um, And then we'll do Christmas Eve with the Jewish side of my family. And and there's Chinese takeout involved. And then Christmas Day is with my mom's side. And we we do the traditional Christmas Day. So I kind of get the best of both worlds. I'm pretty lucky. Nice, nice. Yes, I, I'm three years, I think, three, four years of blended family and the Chilean Catholic tradition of leading up to midnight and midnight mass. And and then the next day was kind of the tradition I brought to the table. It's the wake up and see everyone. And so we kind of combine the two in, in, a, in a blended family. I love in it. all seriousness, uh, the uh, the alphabet guys were great, JP and AJ. I mean, you know, the, uh, <laughs> I picked them for that reason. Um, I really, I, I'm not sure what impact they've had on the game, but I love the fact that one is JP, one is AJ, <laughs> and they were very cool. Hey, how cool is it that we, this is our, I believe our sixth episode just in this year after starting and the conversations that we've had, honestly, I I am blown away by how thoughtful everyone has been. And they're just an open book. Everyone is willing to share and that we get to end 2020 on this very high note as we move into 2021. But I mean, I, I feel like these guys are awesome to wrap up the year. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, super excited and I'm sure, um, you know, my reason for liking them is different than everybody else's, but I'm going to stick with that. I, I wish, I wish that Andrew Checkets was AC Checkets, and uh, that would have been better. <laughs> and uh, Hunter Pence, I do know that when I communicate him with him some, there is an HP somewhere in the way I send or text or email him. Um, but we'll get over that part. We'll, we'll have him on. Hey, listen, um, everyone that listens to this podcast, all three or four of you, we really appreciate mm-hmm. you. And um, the rest of you share it with your friends, family, and uh, what is it you, you, you like, you share, you subscribe, you unsubscribe, resubscribe. And I think if you hear anything of all that thing I just said, because I listen to podcasts all the time and I don't do any of that stuff, right? I just go listen to what I want to, but you should do that though. You should, because our paycheck. You should, please do. It, I think, yeah, please do. Yeah, you're pulling us back. Have a blessed 2021, everyone. I mean, we're lucky to have uh, this platform to talk with you guys. Um, we're fortunate to be around the athletes. Happy holidays. If it's safe, give someone you love a hug because it'll make uh, it'll make for a very good holiday season. If it's safe, go ahead and do that. If not, a virtual hug will do. It's kind of sucked though, but I guess you can do that too. <laughs> we're, we're glad you listened, right? We're glad they all listened. That's right. T-T-Y-L, L-O-L, X-O-X-O, Danny and Darren.